out here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Hello and welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation, a different Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm the same Adam Pranica <laughs> on all shows. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you bring the same, uh, you, you bring very plausible Adam Pranica realness to every show you do. It's true. Adam, we had a, uh, we, we threw something to the fans last time we talked What's weirder to order on a plane, soup or pizza? Yeah. And uh, I think the uh, a pretty overwhelming majority of uh, the people came down on the side that soup is far more dangerous <laughs> and weird to order on an airplane. Uh, well, it was such an avalanche of one-sided answers. It's well outside the margin of error. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost unanimous. It was a it was a pretty short election night special. <laughs> yeah, you can go to bed early. Yeah, on this election night. Wow, not, not white knuckling the results at all. Uh. Here's here's what I think got lost in the question and in my reason. <laughs> if I could just defend myself for a moment, I, I plan on making a concession speech. Okay. I, uh, I I've already given you the call, Ben, and congratulated I- you on a great campaign. I love when uh, the concession speech is going on, and some some wise ass, some some wise ass that like wasn't that bought in on the campaign, anyways, hits the switch on the uh, on the nets that are holding all the balloons and confetti against the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, that's a great guy. That's, that's your guy. Fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know the spirit in which I meant soup over pizza was never about safety, of course. Mm-hmm. Soup at any speed is dangerous, <laughs> and I don't support that choice uh, for a variety of those reasons. My reason for choosing s- soup was purely culinary. Like I, I feel like soup was a more guaranteed good-tasting thing to eat on a plane than what I would assume. Like I've never gotten a good cup of coffee on an airplane, and I was sort of uh, applying that to pizza as well. Like I know coffee is coffee and it'll do in a pinch but i wasn't i wasn't gonna get a slice of pizza that that i could deal with just being okay and i thought soup would be more of a sure thing huh see here's the thing i've had like maybe outside of chowder maybe five good bowls of soup in my life (laughs) chowder is always foods that you actually like (laughs) god i feel like this is a bit is this a soup bit? And, this is, soup this in is, general is not that good. Ben doesn't like food. Like this. I love food. I like good food. Like if I have a if I have a choice between any kind of soup and any kind of chowder, I'll go with a chowder. If I have a choice between a chowder and a stew, that's a tougher call. <laughs> I love a stew. Give me that. I have to have a stew because most of the time the chowder is going to be uh, larded up with dairy. Come out looking exactly the same as it went in. I think it would surprise people uh, how not that close we are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how close can two weirdos like us ever be to anyone? I was thinking about this today. I, uh, I I don't like to assign rank 
in this way. But uh-huh. in terms of people I talk to the most, yeah. you have got to be my best friend. <laughs> I don't talk to anyone as much as I talk to you. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is just like the, uh, you know, the gun at our heads of capitalism. Right. Because now neither of us can really get gainful employment as videographers because we've spent so much time alienating our clients with our dumb podcast that and our the only schedule, hope. <laughs> this, the podcast schedule. Mm-hmm. I recently got scheduled lately. I was like, hey, so I'm back. I'm back totally freelance, which, which means uh, my schedule should be freed up. And so this client was like, great. Uh, we need editors and producers like into December. When are you available? And then I replied with my availability and they're like, well, it looks like you're not available. (laughs) (laughs) Like between the tour schedule and the recording schedule and all that, like, yeah, not that available. It's a beast that needs to be fed. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're very lucky that we have, uh, we have supporters that are carrying us on their shoulders, but uh, keeping that heating bill paid. Yeah, if you've got your finger hovering over the maximumfund.org/slash/donate button, and uh, you're wondering whether or not it's worth it, this show will go away if we have to. <laughs> if we have to get jobs again, things aren't that bleak for us, Ben. They could be worse. They could be like how they are for uh, for Voke. Yeah. In issue three of uh, of the, the Star Trek Discovery series, Light of Kalos. Yeah, we uh, we took a brief break to talk about the uh, the short trek last uh, episode of Greatest Discovery, but now we are back to finish. We're going to do that, uh, though. Every time there's a short trek, we're going to... Uh, that that it, will take we're gonna precedence. Break in. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but we are going to finish these uh, our review of the Light of Kalos series of comic books. Yeah, it's a four-part series where uh, we're going to review issue three right now, but it's also out in a handy graphic novel format, so you can you can buy it all at once. Yeah, I went out and uh, looked for that at my at my local comic book shop, and they didn't have it. The one person that was there working working at the store was entirely occupied by an older man wearing cargo shorts who was there in the middle of the day, like buying three hundred comic books and just talking her ear off. I felt so bad for this Oof. young woman. Uh, at one point, I, I, I was kind of tuning in and out, but at one point I heard him say, I am thinking about getting a Netflix account. Mm. <laughs> God, there is, I mean, I thought I, I think most of us know what comic book guy is like, but I have no idea if, about what 300 comic books guy is. Like, yeah, that is an order of magnitude. Yeah, it was a really serious situation and uh i uh i made like a sympathetic expression at uh at the uh at the girl working the register you're uh, a real ally ben she, she well she she a couple of times like you know put up a finger to pause his kind of unending stream of uh you know white guy who doesn't realize nobody is listening to him and uh and said sir uh, do you need anything are you are you looking for anything in particular and i was like well i'm looking for uh those star trek discovery comic books she said well those uh those have been out for a long time if we have any you know they're they would be over in that section and uh my my search was fruitless but i i could tell that uh she really wanted me to be more of a lifeline than i was <laughs> emotionally uh, or temporarily prepared to be this brings to mind what could be another rule of greatest gen. You and I, Ben, 
have worked retail jobs before. We've worked with the public. Mm -hmm. We understand how difficult it is. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, like if if they haven't had the server in a restaurant job or the uh, the retail experience, might not might not understand how upsetting their behavior can be. To treat a person in that kind of position as a captive audience is really unfair. Yeah. And it's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Would this be a fourth rule of greatest gen? I think it would be. I think uh, I think a possible fourth rule of greatest gen is when uh, when interacting with anyone with a retail job, uh, be polite, be kind, tip well, be brief. Yeah, be polite, be kind, tip well, be brief. I love that. Yeah, that'll that'll get you really far in life, I think. So just to recap, <laughs> do not recline your seat on an airplane. Do not touch the screen on other people's computer monitors. Leave the party without saying goodbye. And when dealing with somebody working in a retail job, be polite, be kind, tip well, be brief. Yeah, I like it. I'm a big believer in all of those. Yeah. I I was unfortunately unable to uh, get my comic fix there, so I had to download again. Mm. But but I did read the the final two issues of the Light of Kaelas comics quadrilogy. Do you want to get into it, Adam? Yeah, let's do it, Ben. The story continues with Laurel talking to Voke about uh, the the sort of origin story of Takufma, because Voke at this moment in time is uh, going through a little bit of a crisis of confidence. Yeah, and and like uh, I sort of realized at this point in the in the arc, what an interesting question that is. Like, who are all these Klingons on the ship of the dead in the first episode of Disco? Like, what what. Uh, inspired them to be there for that and what was you know what led up to that moment it's so interesting to yeah have that like because when we watched the episode i think it was easy to see that these guys were maybe in some kind of weird cult right but that's not the case at all that laurel is making no voke who is now the leader of that you know what we thought of as a cult is uh is kind of unaware of its ancient history so uh, when when last we left off, Takuvma was um, arriving for the, uh, I guess, the wedding of his sister. Yeah. We kind of cut right back into that action where he is entering the hall of his house and uh, this douche that his sister is getting married to has caused all of his brothers to be murdered by Batleth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of the uh, of a kung fu the legend continues vibe as he enters this hall you know he's in in his robes and he's uh and his shower sandals yeah like i i do not want any trouble you know he's like he's the guy that walks into a new town every week and doesn't want any trouble and somehow winds up kicking the ass of every bad guy in the town yeah by the time he leaves seems to be the common denominator in trouble but We'll take your word for it, Takuvma. Takuvma has to have a kind of you've changed man kind of conversation to Jaula because it wasn't long ago that they were they were besties and they yeah. they had a totally similar worldview. And not just besties, but she kind of inspired him to take his life on the path that it has been on. Like he's he's back from the monastery, he's like really he's really gone out into the world and learned 
a bunch of skills and uh he has the gravitas to to like you know just stand there and wait for the batleths to rain down upon him you know because he he knows what his sister is gonna do and she yells out just before these batleths start cutting him up to stop and uh, so Dolores, uh, Dolores henchmen who all look exactly like him, uh, <laughs> decide not to kill Takuvma, and uh, she ha- asks everybody to leave so that she can just kind of have a a heart to heart with Takuvma. It's super fucked that like Jaula is okay with having her family name be subsumed into Dolores. and in order to do that, like all the male heirs need to be killed, including Takuvma. She's like, listen, for the integrity of our house, in order for all of us in our family to stay rich, we needed to kill most of our family so that I can still be rich. She is the sort of evil that doesn't recognize her evil ways at all. Like, she just does not grasp it whatsoever. (laughs) And in a weird way, like, neither does Takuvma. Like, he doesn't really call her out on her shit. He's yeah, he's that would, kung fu the legend continues guy like you said. Yeah, he's not, he's not uh, he's not coming out with his own opinion on the situation. He's yeah. just like letting the fight come to him and then kicking all of the asses in the room. Yeah, and uh, and the fight that takes place is a is a knife fight. She uh, she starts swinging a blade around at him and uh, and wants him to defend himself. You know, she's she says something about how the monastery really softened him up and made him. Made him a real candy ass, and and that's uh, that's when he grabs his own knife and and starts fighting her. And there's a really intense scene where she swings at him, and he catches the blade of her knife in his hand, and he's like, eh, "How weak did this monastery make me, in your opinion?" Because right now I am defending myself with my bare flesh and holding a knife to your neck. Pretty great move. Just do that. At the point. At which Takuvma's knife is at Chaula's neck, they start to hash out the the terms of the end of this fight, and they yeah. are that. <laughs> this was like the one, the one frame that like unintentionally made me laugh because yeah. she's just so like pie faced. <laughs> like when she when he gets the drop on her, like she goes from being like a total badass to just like. Duh. <laughs> Like, I guess it's all the same if Takuvma beats it with the sarcophagus ship and leaves. Like, it's all the same to Jaula. Right. And that's the deal he proposes. Jaula grants Takuvma the ship and the bodies from the yeah. crypt if he'll just get the hell out of Kronos, which he does. He's like, keep the house, keep the honor. I'm I'm taking all the bodies in, a, in the basement and the ship. And there is nothing about Jaula's transformation that would indicate that that would bother her in any way. Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting or, uh, origin story for this ship, like how the how the sarcophagus thing got going. It really, uh, like a rolling stone gathering moss, the sarcophagus ship really gathers a lot of bodies in short order. The kind of lighter skinned Klingon that's been the kind of work foreman on the getting the ship back together project. You're talking about Kel? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a, a tough pill for him and the other workers to swallow initially, right? Like, you don't have a great house anymore? Like, why the fuck would we follow you? And uh, Takuvma is is like, hey, like, we're, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get everybody's 
ancestors and bolt them to the outside of this ship too. And he's like, well, they're all in pretty crappy looking coffins. Like they're not in nice fancy sarcophaguses like it, like the members of your family. He says, we could do something about that. And, and, uh, <laughs> what that means is that Kel is, uh, tasked with carving all the sarcophagi apparently. <laughs> Cause that's, uh, that's the only person that shows actually working on one. Kel not only is the master carver, but as far as the comic books go, like he's the only one who drags all the sarcophagi to the ship. Yeah. Like no wonder his body's broken down by the end of the next comic. Like, (laughs) I mean, the work conditions here are not great. You'd think that a society that has like warp drive would have more automation in how they move objects around. Yeah. There's no honor in automation, I guess. Guess not. When they load up the ship full of the uh, sarcophagi, uh, Kel's like, cool, so we're going back to Borath? And Takuvma's like, nah, I've seen all there is to see there. Uh, we're going to go look for the Light of Kalos. Light of Kalos is, uh, is a beacon that they, uh, that they, you know, it's like written in legend and it's kind of the like uh, holy grail in Klingon mythology. If, uh, if you can light this beacon... You can gather the houses back together and uh, and uh, you know restore the empire to to a unified goal, and that's the goal Takuvma sets for himself. Once they find that light, they're going to need a lighter, though. Where's the lighter? <laughs> like the an ornately carved Zippo that uh, <laughs> that Kel has made. The other thing uh, ornately carved in this scene is they uh, they pull the armor out, the armor that we that we get to meet Takuvma in. They've prepared special armor for him, and the uh, the red stones on the uh, on the shoulders are are carved from the rock of Kronos. Takuvma's got to be a little disappointed in this, like like someone who's given a a very generous gift, but also knows that. He's about to be far less comfortable than he's been up to this point. Like, I'm sure he, there's a hot minute where he's like, no, I mean, the robes are good. I'm good mm-hmm. in the robes and the slippers. But they fit him with this this exoskeleton of armor. I thought it would have been pretty fun to see the, the shopping spree scene, you know, <laughs> where they're out. And Kel is sitting on the round couch and uh, with his arms crossed and Takuma keeps coming out of the dressing room in different different kinds of armor. Kel keeps shaking his head and then finally he nods at the at the correct correct yeah. armor. Looking good, Takuma. Yeah. And then we flash forward a year later, we see uh Takuma's big sister pooping a baby out and uh they put two different bowls under her, so presumably she could potentially do two babies at once. And I guess that's just canonical Klingon, right? I mean, it would have to be. Two birth canals make sense. She's also standing up in some kind of giant cribbage board, <laughs> like with the pegs and the and the hoop and stuff. Yeah. What's going on I th- there? I think that uh, traditionally... Women have given birth standing up. It's kind of a, a an innovation of the Western medicalization of of childbirth that you're like lying on your back to do it. Oh. a lot of the time. Um, I was in a hospital in Kenya one time, and there was a woman in labor, and like they were just walking her around the entire time. And I was like, "Is there?" <laughs> 
there going to be like a point where you put something down underneath just in case? Or I didn't really know what I was looking at. This I mean, the first thing upset. you said was like, I'm trying to shoot an interview here. Can you please keep it down? <laughs> yeah. Ex- excuse me, ma'am. I'm from America. and <laughs> But yeah, the, uh, the baby comes out, a very pale baby. Yeah. A very pale baby indeed. Maybe it makes you wonder if the father that we've been told is the father is in fact the father. Hmm. Hmm. We got a little bit of commentary on Vogue's skin color in the show. It uh, It is implied that it is not necessarily something that would do, uh, get, would, would be an advantage for anybody. And you know he's kind of he's kind of treated as a genetic freak a little bit, yeah. Uh, so which caused us to wonder during our uh, our you know our last episode about these comics, like what is the story with this guy with the with the light skin? Like, how do we explain the fact that nobody is acting weird around him? And uh, and this scene maybe obscured that even more. Like one of the one of the midwives is pretty excited about the skin color of this baby she says a portent of greatness to come yeah uh the reaction from delore is uh is not that no because the news that he gets is that uh is that jaula has gotten rid of it not just gotten rid of it but it wasn't uh it wasn't even alive and he considers that like a breach of contract in a you know, clearly Delore would be like a, a voting member of the Republican Party, and if he if he lived in our time and place, like sure. uh, he is uh, very dissatisfied with her inability to uh, give birth in a timely way to an acceptable heir, and so he uh, announces to to Jula that uh, what this means is that he is going to end uh, the the House of Grach. And uh, and he's gonna put all of her house's holdings under his own name, and now uh, now it is his house and his house alone. I love this series quite a bit, but to me, this was a part that did not satisfy because we knew the entire time that Dolor was an asshole. Why didn't Jaula see that? Why didn't she see the screw job coming? Because she's supposed to be at least as smart as Takuma. Yeah, she's like a very savvy person in the first couple of books. And this, uh, this moment doesn't serve Jaula well at all. Yeah. It seems like something that a... I, th- I think a more satisfying thing would be that Dolores would try something like this and she would have seen it coming from a mile away and mm-hmm. like had an arrangement to undercut it yeah. in place, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, instead it just kind of makes her look like a dummy, which is kind of unfortunate, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it undercuts a lot of work that they put into her character in the first couple issues. Well, we cut back to Voke and Laurel, and and Voke is uh, pretty outraged by the turn this story has made because he he really identifies with this baby with the weird skin color, uh, him being a weird skin color himself. Um, He can't see something that we can see, which is that this baby's loaf is... uh, uh, very similar to his own. Right. But uh, Laurel is like, you know, listen, like the moral of the story is not 
that like Dolor and and Jula are bad. It's that Takuvma is good. Like he saw the power in you, and and that's what like sets him apart from other Klingons. I really like the symmetry of friendships that we see in these two issues because we get Voc and Laurel as like the underpinning of the entire story, but the Kel and Takuvma relationship is an enduring concern as well. Like, because the button on the issue is that, you know, Kel is continuing his optimism about finding the beacon. They've searched and searched and they can't find it, but his optimism is the thing that keeps Takuvma going right up to the moment where they, they find the Federation communication relay that we yeah. recognize from the first episode of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really interesting to see, you know, the power behind the throne when Takuvma first started his crusade. It feels like we're tantalizingly close to the TV series timeline, which is a lot of fun, too. Yeah. So that's issue three. Yeah. You want to go on to issue four? I wouldn't mind. What do you think? Let's just end it there. <laughs> Weird that the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation music played when we ended it there. <laughs> why, why was that? So this is the fourth book of four. Yeah. And uh, like all of these books, we uh, are back on the beat-up Ship of the Dead post-Battle of the Binary Stars. And it's Laurel and, and, and Voke. The Jalopy, and it's spelled like J apostrophe L-O-P-P-I, so it's Klingon. Here on the Jalopy, there is no six CD changer. There is no power window. Jalopy! Uh, Laurel is making the case that it's okay for Voke to have doubts because Takuvma did too. He's like, it's all right, man. Like, you don't have to have 100% confidence all the time. That doesn't make you uh, a bad leader. I think she makes the case that, like, even great leaders have their doubts. You'd be, I think you're a crazy person if if you didn't have a moment of doubt. Yeah, I, I really like this. The, you know, like her kind of shoving him into responsibility you know whether he likes it or not you know like he is the anointed one uh after the passing of of Takuvma and and therefore uh needs to start kind of thinking in in bigger terms three-dimensional terms even shit dog Takuvma sees the listening post as an act of war and this is pretty consistent with his feelings in Star Trek Discovery's premiere episode. Like, I really liked how in the artwork, like they beam. Presumably, they either beam aboard the this satellite, or they, mm-hmm. you know, tractor beam it aboard or something. But like, the the black parts of the satellite are not the same tone of black as the black parts of the Cleon ship. Like, it it looks like it's in a different. Almost like a different uh, color temperature, yeah. The way it's lit, which is really interesting from a from an artistic standpoint. Like I don't think of, um, you know, it's something you have to think about all the time when you're shooting videos uh, is color temperature because incandescent lights that we use to light our homes and that we use on sound stages and stuff are uh, much warmer than sunlight, 
uh, sunlight is very blue compared to uh, indoor lighting. And, um, and I liked the idea that the Federation's objects would look different under, under Klingon lighting than Klingon shit. That's a great point. There's a, there's a house on my street that I drive past most days. <laughs> and if I drive past it at night, yeah. I can see into like their, their living room. And what you notice when you drive past this house is that all of their bulbs are 5,600K cool <laughs> bulbs. Oh, God. And it's, it's, like, unmistakable because it really catches the eye when you drive down a street and, like... Everything you know, is amber and, and glowy. And then there's one house that looks like a clinic. It's, it's shocking. I can't imagine coming home from work to... An interior that's lit at that color temperature, it's such such a difference. And like when you go to a home improvement store and you buy light bulbs, it's it's crazy to me that there are so many bulbs in that color temperature that you can buy stocked right next to uh, the warmer tone yeah. bulbs that are that are intended for for the insides of homes. And I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. what the difference is because they just have never had like a first day of cinema lighting class, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. You really tell the difference when you, when you plug one of those in though. <laughs> a, a, a memory of you that I, that I will always cherish is, uh, you, <laughs> oh, no. you, uh, took me into the, uh, the downstairs bathroom in your house that you'd recently installed four light bulbs in. Uh huh. And, uh, and you switched on the light and you said, these, these came out of the same box and three of them were one color temperature and one of them was a different color temperature and it just fucking drove you up the wall. And if I ever just need to like brighten my day a little bit, I'll think about how perturbed you were. (laughs) Wouldn't you be perturbed by that? I, I would absolutely. But also like. I think if either of our wives installed those four light bulbs, they would turn them on and be totally satisfied that they like lit the room up. Like that was just it. Like I knew my audience. I wouldn't tell that to to just anyone. But yeah. But Benjamin R. Harrison deserves an explanation. We're weird that we notice it. Yeah. Is is the is the moral of the story? It makes me feel close to you. I mean, a hole in in the drywall would be as noticeable to me <laughs> as this. As this fourth light. <laughs> and you want to know something? I still haven't replaced it because it's such a pain in the ass to get inside the fixture to do so. Ah. I need to just put that on the list of things to do. I gotta, yeah, you got to bite the bullet. Yeah. I mean, the, the company needs to know that they have a quality control problem, first and foremost. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be happy to hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you're familiar with color temperatures. <laughs> yeah, like they want to be light splained. Yeah. This uh this satellite is emphatically a listening post. It's it's there to gather data and it's very close to the Klingon side of the line. And Takuthma really identifies his potential enemy in this thing. Yeah. You know, despite the fact that it is just a box with a bunch of cameras on it, uh, he, um, he, he, it really makes him get a hate on for humans. You know, he, he, uh, really hates the fact that they just like sent this thing out here to, 
to like keep an eye on things without you know coming and defending it and you know standing on their principles or whatever yeah it it kind of represents a form of cowardice to him like like why stick a li- and like an unmanned listening post what a bunch of bullshit like he yeah. he doesn't see the federation as having any sort of honor in this way of doing their business but speaking of societies with no honor we get a little montage as uh, Laurel describes how how Takuvma's legend grew and it shows some stuff that was going on on in the in the Klingon empire that is pretty fucked up like slavery is depicted and and like and in the in the midst of depicting slavery they kind of imply that Takuvma was killing uh, slavers and breaking the chains of those who were in bonds. Uh, it shows like kind of a almost like a Roman gladiator style fight between two naked ladies, and uh, and Takuvma presumably chopping the head off of uh, the fat cat that was running that as an entertainment and yeah. taking those ladies into into his crew, um, and and like. The, the rumor apparently gets out among uh, among the Klingon people that uh, the Takuvma is going around calling himself Kales and saying that he is like the the reincarnated soul of Kales. Is that stolen valor? The, and this is totally uncool. Is <laughs> well, it would be stolen valor if it was true, but it's not totally clear that it is. Yeah. Like he like anytime we see him, he denies that. Um, but all, you know, it's like one of those things where like a, uh, a rumor about, about him getting started that may like, may help him and he doesn't do anything to dispel it. Yeah. Uh, could be, you know, that could, that could be the case. I, I think that the comic leaves that open to interpretation. And, uh, like entrenched powers start to notice, like yeah. this is a, this is a form of, of political pressure and and populism taking shape and uh and so we get to see what that looks like we get to see the high council and it is a much bigger and grander thing than we've ever seen in a television show like it's cool it's a lot of people it's a big big hall and uh and uh they're they're basically talking about um you know they're like asking uh to to comment on what's going on like i guess the emperor or the chancellor or something is is asking asking for her thoughts on the matter and core is there uh we finally get to see core and he's mm-hmm. uh he's writing for jaula could potentially even be in league with takuvma given what we know about their family relationship and uh and uh, he's he's you know about to land his big political jab when the doors of the hall open, and uh, and Takuvma walks in resplendent in his crazy battle armor. It's a real moment of if anyone has any reason why these two should not be wed, kind of moment. <laughs> Kor is always terrifying, isn't he? And they draw him really, really well here. Yeah, he really looks exactly like he does in the show, which, like, I think Takuvma, like, there are some drawings where they totally nail him, but yeah. other drawings where he doesn't really look like himself. Right. And uh, Kor is, is dope in every picture. So Takuvma bursts in 
calling the High Council on their bullshit, and he's got a warning, and the warning is that the Federation is ready to strike, but the Klingons are too fractured to do anything about it. Yeah. So what he proposes is that uh, there's a way to beat back this threat, and that is unification behind him. Mm-hmm. And the Chancellor's like, sure, man, whatever you say, like, we'll unify against this made-up threat once you find this pretend beacon you've been looking for. Like, he he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's ready to agree to the terms as yeah. they're stated because he doesn't believe any of what Takuvma's talking about is real. He doubts that Takuvma has any follow-through. Yeah. Uh, Chancellor is also a little bit of a rube himself. Like, you kind of... You kind of wonder how this guy gathered this much political power around himself and he's like, what's that chanting? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it might be the setup for like Takuvma's uh, master stroke from a yeah. political standpoint. There's they like go a out on, like, million Klingon march outside. Yeah. In progress. Yeah. they uh, And it's it's it really is like that kind of scale because they're, they're up on like the ziggurat that the Klingon High Council presumably meets in, and uh, and as far as the eye can see, the crowd is there riding for Takuvma. I really like this frame. Like, the depiction of that many people and that kind of density it seems really hard to depict. Yeah. But you really get it. What's going on in that other ziggurat? <laughs> That's the overflow, Ben. If you don't oh. have tickets to the main ziggurat, uh, <laughs> you can watch it on closed-circuit television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the press ziggurat. Yeah. <laughs> Cole is like is really like anti-populist. He's like, you know, you you got a, a crowd of angry people here, but that's a, you know, why are you threatening us like that? You know, it's a fair point, but a little bit rich coming out of the mouth that, of the guy that was talking about just putting Takufma's head on a spike yeah. a couple of pages ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Uh, before Takuvma beats feet in the sarcophagus ship, he uh, picks up a couple of stragglers. Because why not? There's room right. for all on the good ship sarcophagus. Yeah, and uh, a uh, a young boy of a particular complexion is among those stragglers. Uh, and this is, this is when Voke becomes a member of the Takuvma Project. Yeah, origin story of Voke. He also says goodbye to Jaula, and uh, in doing so, nukes their relationship. It's over. Mm-hmm. They're no longer family after this. I no longer have a sister is the last thing he says to her. Yeah, pretty rough stuff, but uh, deserved, because Jaula's been pretty awful. And it takes, like, like they've been searching for the the beacon for a long time, and... Haven't found it yet. And he's got kind of the, like, he's got, like, the all the confidence of faith that he will find it. Mm-hmm. But uh, his little buddy Kel is, like, not going to leave this kind of project up to faith. And uh, he has, uh, in the years that they've been searching, apparently there's a big enough hangar somewhere on the ship that he has secretly uh, hand-carved a colossal, like, four-story... Beacon of Kalas. He's an old man. Why is he doing this kind of work? Well, you know, old guys love whittling. Maybe I can whittle wood with you sometime, cool buddy. This thing is massive and ornate. Sticky. Good job by Kel. 
Yeah. At first, Takuma's like, fuck this. Like, I don't need a fake beacon. We're going to find the real thing. But Kel's like, look, man, could it be that the beacon is inside you? Remember all those guys on Borath saying that the light inside you was the light of Kaelas? It doesn't matter if you find the beacon or not. If it's in here... Forget the ring. It's Bubkiss. I found it in a box of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's at this moment that, uh, that Takuma, like, appreciates the true power that he's had the whole time. Yeah. You don't, you don't find it without, you find it within. But this is a real shocker for Vogue. Yeah, he is pissed. Because he feels lied to. It can, he considers it a total betrayal. Like, you know, he really believed that they found this ancient artifact. And, you know, Takuvma led everybody to believe that they found this ancient artifact. And because the past and the present storylines have been driving in, in cars that are side by side, like... Lorel makes the case to Voke that it's not about whether or not the beacon was a Fugazi. Like, it's that the plan united the houses and it worked. Like, much like your plan, Voke, to unite the houses and, and continue this mission must work because it's you. Lorel is, is drawing the comparison between Takuma and Voke so as to prop up his confidence. And Voke comes around to the idea. We only know that Vogue comes around to the idea because of what happens in the show, because the button yeah. on the on the series is uh, a final page in which we just get off-screen dialogue from somebody telling Takuvma that they have a Federation ship on their scans, and they've uh, they've parked the the beacon in a crowded uh, asteroidy place, just like we open on in. Uh, yeah. In the beginning of Disco, and uh, Takuma gives the order, light the beacon, and we get like a close-up on his eyes. And it's not the end, Adam. It's the beginning. <laughs> Why, if you're Takuma, would you ever allow Core to be on your ship? You know? Yeah. Keep Core out of there. Core's an <laughs> asshole who hates him. <laughs> that seems like a bad decision by Takuma. Did you like these issues, Ben? I did. Um, I thought I thought that's a that was really interesting backstory on the on the light of Kalas, like mm-hmm. that. It's not about like what it is, but what it represents to people. Yeah, it it really uh, sympathizes to Kufma in a lot of ways. Uh, like he's kind of the, he's kind of the hero of of this series, and he's a he's a dude that caused a lot of bad shit in uh in the tv show but it's it's interesting to see what kind of what inspired him and like and what his goals were and i like that it makes it forces voke to have a nuanced understanding of both takuvma and his his uh his job as the leader of in takuvma's stead you know yeah and I liked that it left it totally ambiguous what, if any, Voke's relationship to Kel was and uh, whether or not Voke is in fact the the baby that uh, Jaula gave birth to. Yeah. Like it's, it's very heavily implied, but it is never, they never draw a bright line 
uh, between one and the other. Yeah, I like that. When I think back on the on the first two episodes of Discovery, so much time was spent aboard the sarcophagus ship giving us the motivations that Takuvma has for his actions. Yeah. But those motivations are so shallow in retrospect. There's so much more there that we that we can't possibly understand. Uh, it's really nice to get the full depth of reasoning behind those things. And I think, yeah. I mean, I might like to return to a first season of Discovery to see if these four issues uh, improve them. Improve yeah. episodes that I already really like because uh, I think they would. I think this is good stuff. This doesn't feel like tacked on periphery storyline stuff. Like these aren't, this isn't bottle episode comic book making. This is like, we're really drawing some lines here. Yeah. And it's effective and good. I, I I'm totally glad agree. they exist. They feel uh, essential. I would really encourage, like, I, I'm not much of a comic book reader, but I would really encourage anybody that liked Discovery to check these out because I think they're pretty terrific. Yeah, agreed. We come in peace. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages for this episode of The Greatest Discovery? Gotta do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Hey, look at that. We've got one. It's uh, from the warm-honeyed bosom, and it is to the warm-honeyed bosom. So a, a recursive P1. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty... I mean, like... We actually got to meet like most of the warm honeyed bosom at this point. Uh, I was now that we've pulled been out. close into the yeah. bosom. Yeah, we got to see the Binturong scar, and and we got to be a part of a of an engagement story, Adam. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I got a, We got we both got warm honeyed bosom T-shirts out of the deal. I'm never gonna forget that Atlanta show. Yeah, the message goes like this. And Irby Spicy said, all right, and there was light, and it was all right. With much pushing and some moose lube TM, were birthed two couples, countless friends, and a new family forever. From mind melds to punchy koala to dick slugs to Manfreds, we have evolved into the unstoppable killing, I mean loving machine, that we are today, hashtag no deads. Happy bosomversary, hashtag not a cult, Binturong. Uh, and Binturong is spelled all caps with an H at the end. Binturong! <laughs> Who do you seek? Binturong! <laughs> you know, hashtag not a cult doesn't give me a lot of confidence that this is... Not a cult. Yeah. You say hashtag not a cult. We say, what is this room full of 100 people in Atlanta all wearing the same t-shirt? <laughs> Why do they keep forcing this applesauce on me? <laughs> Why do you guys all have the same haircut? What's that about? <laughs> well, if you'd like to uh, leave a priority one message for a cult or not a cult... Uh, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message, 200 for a commercial message. It keeps the lights on around here at The Greatest Discovery.
top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a comic book drunk Shimoda? Incredible drunk Shimoda. I did. Uh, I don't know what to call this guy. I don't know if he ever gets named or anything. 
Uh, Sounds like we got a visual. Well, yeah, his uh, it's the either the chancellor or the emperor, Uh I guess. Uh, And it's just for that not seeing the trap he's about to fall into, going, "What's that noise outside the chamber?" Not great to have your you know play right into your political rival's hand that that drastically. Um, and and I would imagine that a a person as powerful as whatever whatever this guy ha- has as a job would uh, would know not to do something like that. Some kind of chanting. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Adam? The one character's motivations that I really don't ever understand are Jaula's. Like she watches. All of the male heirs in her family get murdered and still seems like, yeah, Dolores is a pretty groovy guy. You just don't know him like I do. Yeah, like why her plan is not going great. Like she starts this series going like we're going to like we're going to make our house uh, go back to being a going concern by fixing the ship up and like inspiring the peasants and whatnot. We never get even a sniff of her being jealous of the nobility in the first issue or two, which would satisfactorily sell me on the idea that she's willing to trade her life in for like wealth and nobility, even if it means sacrificing the name of her house. Like there's just something about her sacrifice that didn't quite add up to me. And you know what? You could fix it by either front-loading it a little bit with her jealousy. Right, or being, by, being greedier at the beginning. Or by, like, having her totally sprung on Delore. But we never see either of those. Right. It's a business Yeah, Delore never seems great. Yeah, but it could be interesting if he was. Right. If he had, like, a ton of charisma. If he had a great big two dicks. <laughs> Yeah, so I think yeah. uh, Jaula is my Shimoda. Very nice. So, Adam, the next episode of Discovery will be just before the next episode of Short Treks comes out. So uh, we we got to come up with something to do for that episode, but it's not going to be a Short Treks ep. I mean, I feel bad about doing a Short Treks greatest discovery two weeks after... That short tricks comes out. Doesn't seem right. Yeah, but also we've got some time to kill before actual show starts coming out. Yeah. So we'll, we'll only give ourselves time to formulate our thoughts uh, yeah. by, the, by the next episode. Do we want to do that Stamets comic book in the meantime? Yeah, I'm into that. Let's do it. Okay. So for the next episode, we will be reading the Star Trek Discovery Annual, which is a uh, another uh, comic book by the same folks involved in the series that we've already read. Uh, Kristen, Kristen Bayer, Mike Johnson, and Angel Hernandez. And I think this one is all about uh, Stamets and uh, Hugh Culber. I'm really liking reading through all these comics I think before we started I was a little uh, apprehensive about whether or not it would be a good use of time but uh, I think I've I think we've been rewarded with some really great storytelling here I dig yeah. it I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it because I really like uh, Stamets at Culber's characters and, yeah. uh, 
I'm excited to see more about them. More black toothbrush origin stories. Yeah. Give us, give us 16 pages on that toothbrush. Would love to get to the bottom of that. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll uh, toss it over to Rob. Yeah, fun app. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Rob. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music is by Adam Ragusea. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. Or you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen or GreatestDiscovery when tweeting about the show. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.